Well, amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. I tell you, I, uh, I, uh, I wanted to keep talking there, so, so I'm with you guys, all right? I wanted to keep talking. I'm like, oh, okay, time's up, so it's time to go. Uh, so, the, hey, the good news is there's more fellowship after service, so you guys can stay and hang out and all of that stuff. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Exodus chapter 32? And uh, we're continuing on in our series, Hand-to-Hand Combat. You know, today's uh, battles are often, uh, they're fought through our technology, they're fought from long distances, uh, through uh, sophisticated weaponry. But in the end, the nitty-gritty of it is hand-to-hand combat. There always has to be hand-to-hand combat. And, uh, and I think we as a Christian life, we need to use our hands when we're building God's kingdom and fighting off the enemy. And sometimes we have to do that simultaneously. You guys know what I'm saying? We have to build God's kingdom with one hand and fight off the enemy with the other hand. Uh, in Psalms 144.1, David says this. He says something peculiar. He says, praise be to the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war. And this is kind of our theme verse, because a lot of times uh, we, we don't think in, in terms like this. We think that God trains our inner man, that God trains our spirit man, that God trains our, the way that we think, or God trains our faith. But we hardly ever think that God is training the external elements of our physical being, that God is actually training our hands, and he's training David's hands for war. How many of you guys know that God trains our hands for battle? Amen. And that's what this series is really all about. It's about using our hands to battle uh, for the, uh, battling God's kingdom, the battle for the Lord, the battle against the enemy. And last week we learned how to use our hands in the sanctuary. How do we use our hands in church? And we looked at how our hands are meant to worship the Lord. And we looked through various ways of how we uh, can worship the Lord. But this week, I want to shift our focus just a little bit. And I don't want to talk about using our hands for worship. I want to talk about using our hands for work. Our hands were meant for work. And our hands, in, in, in a biblical sense, they play an important role in our redemptive history. And so today we're going to look at Exodus chapter 32. And uh, in Exodus chapter 32, uh, let me just set some background information for you. Uh, this is a story about Moses and the Israelites. And Moses and the Israelites had just defeated the Egyptians. They had just crossed through the Red Sea supernaturally. And, and the waters came crashing down on Pharaoh and all the Egyptians and, and totally wiping them off the face of the planet. The Israelites now have victory. They have freedom. God has erased their past. There is no return. There is no going back. And he's leading them out into the wilderness. And uh, they end up at the base of Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is a place where Moses was accustomed to talking to God. This was like his prayer room, his prayer closet. And and, uh, and in our story... Um, they are camping out at the base of Mount Sinai while Moses ascends up the mountain to spend time with God. And if you've watched uh, the movie The Ten Commandments or anything about this uh, in in TV or movies, oftentimes we think that Moses goes up, he talks with God and comes right back down. But in a biblical sense, Moses was on the mountaintop quite a few days. He was camping out up there. 
Uh, the Bible tells us that he was up there 40 days talking to God. And so in the meantime, he's up there and he is, the people down below grow restless, waiting on Moses and they're waiting on what to do. And so they build unto themselves a golden calf and they begin worshiping this idol and they're throwing this party in, in a... I guess, in worship unto the idol. And that's where we pick up the story in Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, Moses is now descending back down the mountain. He spent 40 days with God. God has given him the, the law. Uh, he's carrying the tablets of the Ten Commandments with him. And he's walking back down the mountain when his eyes glimpse firsthand and he sees the Israelites in their sin and, and how the Israelites have so quickly fallen away from God. So I want to pick up Exodus 32 and start reading at verse 15. Moses turned and he went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. Everyone say, work of God. Okay, they were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. And when Moses approached the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. All right, whose anger? It was his anger, Moses' anger. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Have you guys ever been given something to you by God and you done messed it up? Right? Have you ever been given a second chance and you squandered it? Has God ever forgiven you or giving you grace, um, giving you forgiveness, and you blew it, right? Nobody in here, just me, right? I think we could all say that, right? We've all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. God has given us so many chances, and oftentimes you and I blow it. We squander it. That's why sometimes I don't understand judgmental people. Because how can you be judgmental? Because we've all blown it. We've all made mistakes. Um, I know in my religious spirit sometimes, I like to judge biblical characters, but I really can't. I, I'm sure maybe at a time you have often thought about when you get to heaven that you would like to slap Adam and Eve just a little bit. Right? Come on, in our carnal spirit. Come on, we want to. But I'll be honest, I can't really judge Abney too hard because I too have made some bad mistakes. I too have, you know, made some bad decisions along the way. I can't judge Jacob too much because I too have wrestled with God a time or two. You know, I can't judge Peter too much because I too have taken my eyes off Jesus and, and, and sunk in the storm. I too have been like, 
Thomas and doubted sometimes. And the, the one that I thought of this week um, that I really liked is that me too, sometimes I'm even like Esau and I overpay for food. Right? Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. I feel like that every time I go to the ballpark. Right? Yeah, Kenny wants some chicken wings, right? I got to take out a second mortgage on the house at the ballpark. I too, so I can't judge these guys too much. And in our story in Exodus chapter 2, um, I really can't judge Moses too much because I too have at times been handed something by God unto me and I've done messed it up. I hope that maybe you're in the same ballpark today too. If you are, say amen. All right, so we're all, we're all there. We all realize that we've messed things up. And so today, I want to talk about using our hands to work our second chances. Because God gives us another chance. And he gives us another chance after that. And he gives us 70 times 7. And God gives us lots and lots of chances. However, a lot of times, the second chance has a little bit more requirements than the first time around. Um, sometimes God adds to it, like you're going to have to do a little bit for it. How many of you guys have ever been in the doghouse with your spouse, right? And you done messed something up, right? Sometimes it takes just a little bit of work to get back. And so today, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about working your second chance, working, using your hands to work your second chance. And today I want to look at five requirements to working your second chance. Five requirements when you're working your second chance. And the first requirement that I want to focus on today is confronting your failures. You're going to have to confront your failures. It is easy to pass blame. We live in a world that passes blame all the time. It's not my fault, it's their fault. And in our story, it would be so easy for Moses to just pass blame, right? He's coming down the mountain, and what does he see at the base of the mountain? It's the Israelites partying, worshiping an idol. It's their fault that these tablets are broken, right? It'd be so easy to pass blame on them. It would be easy to pass blame on Aaron. Because Aaron, what are you doing, boy? I left you in charge. Right? You're the one who's supposed to be leading these people in my absence. And Aaron, what do you do while I'm gone? You allow them to build an idol. That's just poor leadership. That's just poor leadership 101. In fact, I bet you that Moses was probably a little hurt over this incident. Because he probably trusted Aaron as his right-hand man. He probably had faith in him. He probably said, uh, Aaron, you are now in charge and I'm trusting in you while I go away and I go do this. And he's probably heard that Aaron messed it up so bad. He could have blamed the people. He could have blamed Israelites. He could have blamed Aaron. And you know what? He also could have blamed God. He could have. Because, God, you are giving me this monumental task, and these are the people that I have to work with. Every day. Some of us feel Moses' pain right now. I feel it. God, you, you, this is the job, and this is what I have to work. What, God, I'm so frustrated with you right now. 
because this is not going to work like you think it's going to work, right? He could have been mad at God. And, and I found out one truth in life is if you, want, um, if you want to pass blame, you can always pass blame. There are thousands of things to pass blame onto. If you want to find a reason for doing something, you will find a reason. And if you want to find an excuse, you will find an excuse. That reasons and excuses are abundant. Um, but, but if you want to find an excuse, you can find it. But there has to be a moment when you get past all of the blaming and you look inward and you realize that it wasn't the Israelites that broke the tablets. It wasn't Aaron that broke the tablets. It wasn't God that broke the tablets. But it was Moses in his anger that broke the tablets. There has to be this confrontation with your failures. Like where you were broken before God. Not only are the tablets broken, but we have to be broken. And you have to realize, God, there's something within me that has messed this up. And we have to humble ourselves. And let me tell you today, one tried and true, that if you do not humble yourselves, God will do it for you. And you don't want God to humble you. Because I've been there, and that's not the fun path. It's better just to do it yourself. Humble yourself. Break yourself. Sometimes there are things that, that come into your life, and it's only because we are hard-headed people. But sometimes God brings hardship. Sometimes God brings drought. Sometimes he brings famine. Sometimes he brings sorrow. And he's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to wake you up. He's trying to humble you. He's trying to bring you back to a point where you can be used. I don't know if you're in here, but maybe you've done things the hard way your life, most of your life. Uh, I could probably raise my hand and say, yeah, you know, I, I wish I was humble all the time. But there are times when I'm just as pig-headed as every other man that's on the planet. Right? Men are pig-headed, right? We're hard-headed. It's true. I'm, I thought there's some brave women out there. But one thing I learned in marriage is that women are more hard-headed. Right. There's a bigger response. There's more brave men out there. Right. We're all hard-headed. Come on, admit it. We all are. And sometimes God has to shake us up a little bit to get our attention and to humble us. See, the reason why is when you and I are full of pride or we're full of hard-headed, we're going against the very nature of God. It's one of those God principles. This is true of the entire Bible. You can look through and you can see qualities of God. And we know that God is love and God is this and God is that. But one of the things God is, and James 4, 6 sums it up so perfectly, it says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He he, give, he opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. And this is one of those God qualities where God doesn't like prideful people. He, he's opposed to them. If you want to get God opposite you, the quickest way to do it is through your pride. He opposes those who are proud. I'm, if you look in the, the lower right-hand corner of your graphic, you see two boxing gloves that are coming together. Can you imagine being in a fight with your struggle with your enemy? 
and you're in the ring with it, but then this verse pops up and it says God opposes the proud. And if you're proud, that means God is now not in your corner. God is on the opposite side. God is opposing you because of your pride. Now the quickest way to earn God's favor is to humble yourself. God shows favor to those who are humble. So if you want God in your corner, if you want God as your corner man, if you want God behind you in the fight, then I suggest trying to be humble. Humble yourselves and he will lift you up. It's a biblical principle. There comes to this point when you have to realize that God gave me these commandments and these commandments were, were there's nothing else like them on earth. They were hand-carved by God. It was God's own handwriting that was on it. These things were uniquely awesome. And it wasn't the Israelites that messed them up. And it wasn't Aaron that messed them up. But it was me in my anger that messed them up. There has to be this humbling. You and I, friends, we have to realize our mistakes. We have to confront our failures. We have to confront um, those things and... And, uh, and be real with ourselves and be real with God. And in those moments, we just have to stop blaming other people. We have to stop blaming our mamas and our papas for us being the way that we are. We have to stop blaming our spouses or our families for being the way we are. We have to stop blaming our culture for the way that we are. We have to stop blaming something that happened hundreds of years ago that has created the system of which I'm just a byproduct in and that's why I am what I am. We need in our country to stop being so woke that we blame everybody under the sun for all of our, our, uh, our bad choices and bad decisions in life. Listen, it's not everybody else's fault. Nobody makes us do those things except for us. It's me that made the bad decision. So we have to confront those things. Confront those times that we messed up. Confront the times when we were handed something by God and we blew it. Second requirement that I want to focus on today is that there's a cost of redemption. The cost of redemption must be met. Oftentimes, you and I think that redemption is free, that salvation is free, that forgiveness is free. And that's what we preach a lot, because we always say it is free to us. That doesn't mean that it is free. The opposite is actually the truth. Forgiveness, redemption, salvation are very expensive things. They are so priceless that you and I could never ever pay for them in and of our own self. I can't buy into it. It costs too much. I can't get into heaven under my own merit. The price is too high. That's why Jesus Christ came and paid a debt that I never could and now offers it to me as free. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't ever want to confuse because God offers it to us as free as meaning that it's not valuable. It's incredibly valuable. Our redemption is incredibly valuable. And here in our story we have Moses. He's handed something so precious by God. 
hand-carved commandments on tablets. And in his anger, he broke them. And now everything in the story is broken. The tablets are broken. Moses is broken. Aaron's broken. And the Israelites are broken. Everything's broken. But just because you're broken doesn't mean that you're worthless. Being broken is the starting place for God to do something amazing. There's a story floating around the internet. I picked up on it. Um, a lady was cooking in her, in her cabinet. And maybe we could put the next slide up of the broken eggs. Yeah. But, um, but this lady was like, I was thinking about life. And I said in my subconscious, I've reached my breaking point. I think I've been there before. Right? I, I, I'm at my breaking point, God. And she began to, be, to make cornbread. And she cracked these two eggs in the kitchen. And when she cracked those two eggs, she heard in her mind, the Lord speak to her, now I can use you. You see, an egg can't be used until it's broken. And immediately she found joy in the breaking. And that is true of you and me. You and I can't be used by God until we're broken. Until we, we empty ourselves and say, God, it's not about me. And we say, God, I'm, I'm full of failure. I'm full of, you know, imperfections. This is who I am. God, now fill me and use me and stretch me. That is the beginning point for God to do something. And I'll tell you what, in this redemptive process, um, it's not an easy process. I mean, accepting the Lord is, yes, we say a prayer and God forgives us. But I'll tell you, the road to redemption is sometimes the rest of our lives. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, as what, as what Paul writes in Philippians. We're working those things out. It's costly. When you and I make mistakes, sometimes we have to own up to them and we have to work through those mistakes. We have to work through those failures. And Moses knows in this point when he's staring down at the Israelites and they are parting and worshiping an idol and he's staring at his feet and there at his feet are broken tablets of what God given to him. He knows that to put everything back on course, it's going to cost him. There's a cost. And so he starts with the Israelites. And this is what he does with the Israelites in verse 20. He took the calf that people had made and he burned it in the fire. Okay, now that's a good starting point. To take the idol and burn it in the fire. But in that fire, it's not destroyed completely. Metal kind of molten down. Um, I don't know, it kind of calcifies. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, it makes this sludge. And so it's just there. So he took the remains of that, and then our text tells us that he ground it into powder. So he ground it into a fine powder. He scattered it on the water, and then he made the Israelites drink it. How's that for leadership? I'm taking your sin, we're going to grind it into nothing, and then I'm going to make you drink it. 
I was talking to Connie in the office this week, and she told me, hey, there's some times when my kids made me this mad that I was going to make them eat it, right? I think we've all been there as parents, right? I'm this hot. Now, one theologian, William Propp, he says, ultimately, I would just recognize that Moses is, as we say, rubbing Israel's nose in its own misdeed. That's what it looks like on the surface. However, the real reason might be more noble than, invicti- than vindictive. So what was happening is, is by sprinkling those flakes upon the water, um, he was making that water bitter, and then partaking in bitter water was an act, of, it was a healing um, act. It was a, a, a regime, it was a cleansing ritual that they would partake in. And there's some other biblical examples of that, and I don't have time to get into all of it. But it was this act of healing. And I think sometimes in our healing process, you and I have to face up to the bitter consequences of our actions. You have to go through the bitter things in order to find redemption, in order to move, in order to move forward. There's a time when you and I sin and we got to face the music. And we have to realize that the price for our sin is more than we bargained for. It's bitter and it's painful. But that is what it costs to, you know, for God to, to move us forward in our lives. If you want healing, if you want to move forward, sometimes you're going to have to deal with some bitter consequences. Thirdly, the third requirement that I want to focus on. So, so first we have this idea is that we have to face our failures. We have to confront our failures. Then we have to, um, um, we have to realize that, I'm sorry, redemption has a cost. That we're going to have to pay up. Thirdly, you have to chisel for change. Chisel for your change. If you fast forward with me two chapters, Moses schools the Israelites. He gets the Israelites back on the right track. And then he has to go up and he has to make reprimands with God. And so he goes back up the mountain. And this is what God tells him in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 34. Then the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I'm going to stop there. This time around, Moses, it's going to take sweat equity. This time around, Moses, you're going to have to do some chiseling. You're going to have to use your hands. See, the first time around, God did everything. Right? The first time around, God chiseled the stone. God carved everything in it. The first time around was all God. God did the heavy lifting. He carved them and he inscribed them. But now, Moses, because you messed it up, this time around, you're going to have to do it. And there's this process. And God says, he gives them these instructions to chisel them, but he says, make them just like the first ones. 
And if I'm imagining, I'm using my imagination, I think that the first ones were probably pretty detailed. I think God probably did pretty good handiwork. And I can imagine Moses chiseling them out and putting forth the effort to make these tablets just like the first ones. He's working at it. Sometimes redemption is going to cost us. Sometimes you and I are going to have to work at it. We're going to have to sweat at it. We're going to have to use our blood, sweat, and tears. Guess what? Sometimes it's not going to be an overnight process. Sometimes you and I are going to have to work and work and work at it to get victory over it. We're going to have to chisel for our change. The fourth requirement, and this kind of goes hand in hand with the third one, is collaborate with the divine. We collaborate with the divine. So Moses deals with the Israelites. He goes back up to the mountain, and he's up on that mountain, and he's waiting on God. And usually that's the point when we mess up. We, God puts us in timeout. We have to wait a little bit. We have to think about what we've done. And he's up there waiting, and he's waiting. And God says, finally, in Exodus 34, okay, Moses, I'm going to fix this. No, scratch that. We're going to fix this. We're going to fix this together. We're going to do it together. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. See, you do the chiseling, and I'm going to write the words. You carve out the stones, and there's this collaboration that's happening. Our problem is a lot of times that when we're coming into a second chance or a third chance or we're trying to find our redemption and work ourselves back through, we want God to do it like he did it the first time. It was easy the first time. God, you did, it, you did all the heavy lifting the first time. You did everything supernaturally the first time. All I did was sit back and receive it. All I did was a, I was a partaker in it. I got to carry it. I got to have it. But because it didn't cost me anything, I wasn't vested in it, and I mistreated it. Does this sound familiar to our own stories sometimes? He doesn't, Moses didn't understand what he had in his arms, and in his anger, he broke them. And the problem is a lot of times, you and I, when we're coming back to God, we want God to do it easy. We want God to do it the way he did it the first time. And God says, oh no, this time around, we're going to do it together. You're in it with me. We're going to do it together. And this is what he's doing with Moses. This time around, it's going to take sweat equity. This time around, you're going to have sweat beads pouring down your forehead and, and your knuckles are going to be bloody. I'm going to do the writing, but you're going to be doing the carving. Your hands will be the ones with the hammer and the chisel. And the miracle that is going to happen, the law that is going to come forth, is going to be a collaboration between God and Moses together, between uh, humanity and divinity 
between God and man. It's a foreshadowing of what Jesus does for you and me. The first covenant in the Old Testament, God created. It was easy. God did all the second or all the heavy lifting, but the second covenant required human intervention. Let me rephrase that another way. The first covenant, God spoke into or he breathed into Adam and Eve and they came alive. It was supernatural. The second covenant, Jesus coming. He said, oh no, it's going to take human intervention. Mary, you are going to have a child and give birth to Jesus. I think this is the way that I always see our salvation. I always see my salvation as a collaboration between God and man. Between God and myself. We are working together at this thing. Yes, salvation is a free gift. God bought it, and he purchased it, and he extends it out to me. But guess what? I am the one that has to reach out and receive it. God's not forcing it on me. I have to do that. And so there's this collaboration. God will forgive me, but guess what? I have to repent and ask for it. God will heal us, but we have to step forward in faith. There is this collaboration between God and man. These are what scripture or theologians call didactic, mirac didactic miracles. They are miracles that require human response or human intervention. It's like the feeding of the 5,000. If you go with me there in your mind just for a minute, but we know that Jesus is there teaching on the, on, on the, the mountainside there and the people are there all day and they're famished. And there's no food except for a little boy. He has um, two fish and five loaves. And he has to come and he gives away his lunch so that Jesus can perform a miracle. And they put him in baskets and Jesus multiplies it and does the, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. And there's so much that there's leftovers. And it's an incredible miracle that takes place. But it was a partnership between Jesus and a little boy. And the little boy had to give up his stuff in order to feed everybody. It was a partnership. Now, does Jesus need to, uh, two fish and five loaves to feed everybody? I'm pretty sure he doesn't, folks. I'm pretty sure that God fed millions of Israelites in the Old Testament with absolutely nothing for 40 years. God didn't need the little boy's lunch. However, it is a partnership, it was a collaboration that made the miracle work that day. And that's a lot of times how God works in our lives, is God wants a collaboration to do something great in and through us. It doesn't work sometimes if it's just one-sided. Some of us, we're working our second chances, and we're sweating our tails off, and we're doing everything humanly possible to earn our way back and to, to, to get a second chance. And guess what? We've, we left God out of the equation. And we're, we're acting like it depends on us, and I'm just earning my second chance back. And God says, man, just let up for a second. Invite me into the process. That is what you're missing. You're trying to do everything in your own strength, in your own power, and you're wondering why you're tired, why you're burdened, why you're carrying this heavy load. 
And the reason why is you have not invited me into the process. Invite God into the process of your redemption. And say, God, come in and do that. Spiritual things, the spiritual heavy lifting, the things that I can't do. And God will do that. On the reverse side of that, sometimes you and I sit back in our lazy boys and we're just waiting for God to give us our second chance. And we sit back and we say, God, do it like you did it the first time. Just do it miraculously. And God's saying, get up off of your holy hineys and do something. I, I know that's going to show up on Facebook later. Right? God's saying, work it. Work it. You can't depend on me for everything. I want to partner with you in doing this. It's going to take both of us to get this done. We have to work our second chances. And in this collaboration, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to confront your failures. You have to realize the cost of redemption. You have to chisel for your change. You have to collaborate with the divine. And the last requirement is, is value the process. Value the process. There was a path to restoration that Moses was given. Verse 2 of Exodus 34, God tells him, be ready in the morning. Be ready in the morning, then come up on Mount Sinai, present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or to be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even the flocks, not even the herds may graze in front of the mountain. And so verse 4, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets just like the first ones went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. So Moses chiseled the two stone tablets. And this in of itself is a process. Not easy. This week I YouTubed. Um, there's an old TV show, This Old House. I kind of like it. Uh, but... But it was a YouTube video of this, and they're showing you how to cut stone. Because I'll be honest with you, I'm not a masonry. I don't know the process. So I thought for my sermon, I should know a little bit about cutting stone. It looks like hard work, folks. Your, your uh, materials are heavy. Stone is heavy. Your equipment that you have to use, chisels and hammers, are heavy to work with. You have to swing those things. And then on top of it, it takes a certain level of expertise in order to get this done because you have to know exactly where to chisel and, and work in that stone. So it goes, um, in, I guess, in the, in the, the, the grains of the, of the rock, something like, I don't know. Hey, we'll all watch the YouTube late, you know, video later and we'll all get caught up on it. All I know is it took a lot of work. And, 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 and he asked Moses to do this. Now, this was not out of Moses' realm of expertise. If you remember, Moses grew up Egyptian, and Egyptians were known for their architecture, for their buildings, for their structures. They were well-versed in this. God is not going to use you above what you can do. So when you say, oh, in my redemptive process, there is more work, and it's above... It's, it's more than I can bear. It's more than I can do. Not true. 
God gives us what we can handle in that process. But the point that I'm trying to make out is that there is a process, and that process involves hard work. It doesn't come overnight. Now, in our story, uh, Moses does miraculously puts his hands to the plow and gets it, gets it done in a 24-hour time span there. But a lot of times, our redemption doesn't happen overnight. It is a process that we have to walk through. And we have to walk through it sometimes day by day, week by week, month after month, maybe even year by year until we can see victory over these things. It's a process, folks. But I want you to value the process. Enjoy your moment in the process. Every part in the process where you're putting in blood and sweat and tears is doing something amazing in your spiritual man and pulling you closer to God. Paul writes it like this in Ephesians 2. I'm sorry, Ephesians 2. 2 Corinthians 4.17. I don't know where I got that. 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God is doing something in and through us. I'm going to ask Courtney if you would come to the piano, please. And today I just want to wind this down, folks, because some of you here, maybe you're here, maybe you've been working a second chance. Maybe you're in a second marriage. Maybe you're in a rebound relationship. Maybe you're working a job that your, your job that you had fell through and now you're doing this on the side just to make ends meet. Maybe, maybe you're doing something um, to earn a second chance in life. Maybe you blew it the first time. I don't know what that is. It's different maybe for, for you than it is for me. But maybe you've been handed something by God and you, you done messed it up. I want you to know that it's okay because we've all been there. We've all fallen short. But I also want you to know that our God is a God of second chances. And he's a God of third chances. And he's a God of fourth chances. And he's a God of 70 times 7 chances. God will forgive you. But there's a process and it's not always easy. And maybe you're here today and you've been in that process and you've been fighting and you've been struggling in that process for so long. And you're tired and you're burdened because you've been doing it too much on your own. And you say, God, this is a collaboration. Today is the day where I need to take some of that burden off of my shoulders and remember God is part of this equation. God, I need you today in this moment. Maybe you're here today and you've been just sitting back and you've been waiting for God to move, waiting for God to give you that second chance, waiting for God to make everything all right just miraculously. And God is saying to you, no, you know what? You need to do something. If you start working, I'll start blessing. You start working, I'll start blessing. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? And maybe you're in this place and God has laid something. Maybe this is a season you're in today. And you're saying, God, I've been struggling for so long. God, I need you. I want to invite you in right now. And realize, God, I can't do it in my own power and in my own strength anymore. God, I need you.
God, I'm tired of doing it in my, all on my own. God, I'm trying to, trying to make it right, God, but it's just not working. I need you. Just invite the Lord in right now. Invite him into your life. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer of salvation. Today is your day. Today you can just say, God, come into my life. Lord, I realize that I've made the mistakes. I realize I've blown it. God, but I need you to come in. I need you to forgive. I need you to make me whole. You can do that right now in this moment. Just in the quietness of your heart, you can ask God to come into your life. Maybe you're here and you've taken the opposite approach and there's a situation that's weighing on you. There's something in your heart that's bugging you. It's a burden that you've been carrying and you've just been sitting there and you've been, you've been praying about it. You've just been giving it to the Lord over and over and over again. And you just say, God, do something. God, do something. God, do something. But yet you haven't taken any steps with your own hands. To fix it. And today the Lord is speaking to you and saying, today is the day that you become a person of action. Today is the day that you move forward and put it into practice. And God says, I'll be with you, but we have to do it together. It can't be all me. We're going to do this together. So now in this place, Lord, I know that you're doing things that we cannot possibly do. And you're touching our hearts in ways that, we, that, that, that only you can. And so, God, today I pray, Lord, for our church. I pray for our people, for the people that are here. Lord, I pray for our families, God, as we're moving forward. Lord, that we would move forward with God. Move forward. God, today in this place, God, just move in our hearts. Move in this place. Lord, do what only you can do in this moment. I pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Church, I want to give you one last scripture. And um, it didn't make my notes. And it didn't really give it too much thought until just this moment. The Lord impressed it upon me. So I believe it's from the Holy Spirit. Exodus 32. So Moses chisels out two stone tablets like the first ones. He does everything that the Lord says. He goes up there on the mountain. And, and it just so happens in verse 6, it says, And he passed in front of Moses. And this is what God proclaims to Moses at the end of the, the redemption, at the end of the tablets. He says, The Lord... 
the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, is slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That is our God. Slow to anger, forgiving. As we conclude our service, I want to encourage you. Work your second chance. Work your redemptive story. God is doing something beautiful in your lives. Enjoy the process. It may be for the next week. It may be for the next month. It may be for the next year. Or it may be for the rest of your life. But enjoy what God is doing. Make your life a partnership between you and him. Amen. 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 You guys are officially dismissed today. Go in God's grace. The altars are always open if you want to come up and pray. Or if you want me to pray with you, I'll, I'll be happy to, to pull, pull aside and, and we'll pray. Amen. God, God bless you guys. You're dismissed. In your hands, yeah, I will always be in your hands. Trusting your plans for me And though it gets hard sometimes I